Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember, kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. These words were spoken in what I would describe as one of the most iconic movies of the early 90s. Um, this movie, in fact, came out in the year that I was born. It was the year 1993 when the movie The Sandlot premiered and those words were spoken. Uh, they were shared by an actor who was portraying the great baseball legend and New York Yankee legend, George Herman Ruth, who of course is better known as Babe Ruth. And uh, in the movie, uh, Babe is appearing, to, uh, appearing in a dream to a kid who has a very important decision to make. Now, unlike other times, I am not going to spoil this movie for you, but I just want you to know this kid has to make a very important decision, one that will certainly impact his life and the lives of his friends. And so it's in this moment when he is dreaming about what he is going to do next that the babe appears to him and says that iconic line. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And so while being a hero is, of course, great, it would seem that being a legend is taking it to that next level. And I think it's fair to say that when it comes to being a legend, there is a shift in the context of what it means to be a legend and how someone reaches the status of legendary, as we would say. Um, generally speaking, someone, a person is a legend because they did something so incredible that you can't talk about that thing, even if someone else does it, without, of course, mentioning the original person, without mentioning that one person. In fact, I think sometimes people are called legends because it's almost hard to believe that they did that thing. And of course, when we're talking about the history of legends or in a literary context, when a legend is told, it's a story that's been passed down and told. And of course, some legends get a little more exaggerated than others. And there are even legends that aren't real. But in this case, in the context of a person, when we talk about a person who is a legend, they are simply set apart in, in a context all on their own. Uh, for example, I am sure you all know the name Ruth Wakefield. Well, maybe not, but trust me, she is a legend. Ruth Wakefield is known for creating the chocolate chip cookie. Now, I'm not really sure what gets someone to legendary status, but as far as I'm concerned, she is a legend. I feel like that qualifies, right? But, of course, there are more uh, modern-day legends, people that certainly had such an impact on life that they will never be forgotten. Uh, like Rosa Parks, uh, the black woman who became an American civil rights activist after she refused to get up from a bus and move to the back of a bus in 1955. And then, of course, there's Harriet Tubman, the leader of the Underground Railroad, the abolitionist, also historically known as the Moses of her people, as she helped guide and lead so many people to freedom from slavery. And we could certainly go on and on with lists and lists of legends, but I think you get the point. When someone is a legend, they are remembered far beyond their lifetime. And more often than not, this is because not only of the impact they had on the lives of the people around them when they were alive, but even more so on the lives of future generations. But usually, 
If you call someone a legend, it's associated with the good things they did in their life. I'm not really sure of someone who is called a legend for doing something terrible. Now, of course, that's not to say we don't necessarily remember those people, but we don't assign the term legend to them. They're not legendary in our minds. And so being a legend is more often than not a positive thing. And I think it's pretty awesome that in this morning's story, we got to hear about a legend. And no, I'm not talking about Jesus. Uh, just to be clear, Jesus is Jesus. He, he doesn't need any sort of other title or name attached. He is Jesus, the Messiah. Let's leave that alone. See, the legend in our story is none other than Thomas or Didymus or the twin, or perhaps the name that everyone knows him by because of this story, Doubting Thomas. Now, I said legends are often remembered for good things, so you're probably wondering why I referred to the man known as Doubting Thomas as a legend. But before we get there, let's first, of course, go back to how Thomas acquired that so-called uh, nickname that he has. See, in our text this morning, the disciples are in a house together and they are behind a locked door. And scripture tells us that they were afraid. Uh, see, even though they'd heard already that Jesus has risen from the dead, he has not yet appeared to all of them, especially as a group. And not only that, there are the, the Jewish leaders who are still looking to snuff out all of the followers of Jesus. And so essentially, Jesus' disciples are afraid of being persecuted for their faith. But scripture tells us that while they're, behind this while they're in this house behind this locked door, Jesus appears to them. And I mean, if death couldn't hold him down, certainly a locked door was not going to do the trick. And so as Jesus appears to them, he says to them, peace be with you. That probably sounds familiar because it's something we would often say when we were in person for worship. See, this was a common greeting shared amongst Christians back then. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. And Jesus shows them his hands and his side and as the disciples see it, they believe. They are filled with joy. Scripture tells us they began to rejoice and proclaim that he is the Lord. However, we of course learn that Thomas was not there when this happened. So later on, Thomas arrives, Jesus has departed, and the disciples tell them, we've seen Jesus. And then we get that infamous response from Thomas in verse 25. He says, unless I see the mark in, of the nails in his hands and I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side I will not believe. Thomas has what I might call um, a legendary kind of response. It's a response that none of us forget. One that all of us remember in the context of Thomas and his story. See, the other disciples, they did get to see Jesus' hand-marked nails and his pierced side. And so Thomas says, not only do I want to see, but I want to touch. See, uh, Thomas is going a step further here. Yeah, I want to see the marks in his hands and, in, and his pierced side, but I want to put my hands on them. I want to put my hand into his side. And if I can't do that, 
then I will not believe. Thomas doesn't say, then I have doubts or I have questions. No, the text is very clear. The word used in the Greek is believe. Thomas will not believe. So perhaps the reality is we've given Thomas the wrong nickname. Instead of doubting Thomas, we should call him unbelieving Thomas. Right? That, that's what the text would say. Thomas says he doesn't believe, so he's really unbelieving Thomas. Have you ever noticed that of all the people we're told about in the Bible, the only person who has an unfavorable adjective attached to the front of their name is Thomas. Most of us don't even know him as Thomas or refer to him as Thomas because we're so used to calling him Doubting Thomas. This is, you know, Sunday school kind of stuff. You hear Thomas, you think Doubting, Doubting Thomas. But why? I mean, we don't do that with any other people in the Bible. We don't call them murdering Cain or cheating David or unfaithful Peter. However, for Thomas, he is known and identified by the one moment in his life when he struggled to believe. He's known for the moment that many of us would probably call a very scandalous moment in his life. And if there's one thing I think we all know, the world loves a good scandal. Sure, people get remembered for the good things that they do. But if you really want to be etched in history, if you want people to know your name and never forget you, be at the heart of a scandal. A scandal that people can use to define you. A moment of failure and weakness that you will never be able to take back. And maybe you've already had a moment like that. Maybe you've had more than one moment like that. Things that you can't take back, but you were in an epic failure and weakness. And so now I want you to think about the adjectives that should be applied to your name according to the world. Cheater. Liar unfaithful, deceitful, doubting. The world will come up with a way to define you and remember you by the worst moment in your life. And because of our sinful nature, sometimes we take part in that too. As a result of sin, we always are looking to define someone by the worst moment. We remember people for the scandalous things they've done. Just like Thomas, or sorry, doubting Thomas. But Thomas's story doesn't end there. See, instead what happens is the following week, the disciples are once again in that house behind that locked door, and again Jesus appears to them. And he says the same thing. As he appears, he says, peace be with you. That peace is meant to speak into all their fears to everyone in that room, the room that now includes Thomas. And Jesus looks at Thomas and he says to him, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not doubt, 
but believe. You know, I think uh, sometimes we hear this moment and we almost feel like Jesus is kind of scolding Thomas a little bit like, okay, Thomas, this is what you wanted. But it's the complete opposite. When Jesus comes and he says these words to Thomas, Jesus is taking all of Thomas's fears and his doubts and his unbelief and he's putting them to death. Jesus comes to Thomas in this moment to show him his grace and his love. He wants Thomas to be able to see, to be able to touch, so that Thomas's faith is strengthened. He doesn't abandon Thomas to drown in a sea of doubt. He stretches out his nail-scarred hands and his pierced side, and he pulls Thomas in. And so he does the same for me and for you. Jesus doesn't identify you by the scandalous moments in your life. Jesus doesn't want you to carry the weight of all your shortcomings and failures. That's why he has those nail-scarred hands and that pierced side. That's why Jesus died. Jesus died because of all of your mistakes and mishaps. He died so that you wouldn't have to carry them around, so that they would be left upon that cross inside that empty tomb. He died so that you would not have to suffer and instead you were promised life. You were promised faith. Faith that works in you even in the midst of doubt. And so regardless of what the world might say about you, of what adjective they might add to your name, Jesus says this, I love you. I died for you. You are mine. I'm here right now. And I will always be with you. So why do I call Thomas uh, a legend? Because his story is one that is familiar to us. It's one that we don't ever forget. And it's a story that has certainly impacted the faith of future generations. But even more so, It's our story too. We are all in one way or another just like Thomas. We certainly had moments in our lives of fear and doubt and unbelief and perhaps even scandal. And we've also had moments of great joy, of confident faith, of strength in our faith. But our lives cannot be whittled down to one bad moment or one good moment. Instead, our lives are whittled down to one moment when we did nothing and Jesus did everything. And in that moment, our lives were changed forever. Thomas's life, his story, Your life, your story, my life, my story has been rewritten by the power of the Holy Spirit in the crimson ink of Jesus Christ's blood. And so you're no longer remembered for the worst moment in your life, but instead, as Pastor Mark said last week, you are called by name. 
As Jesus appears and speaks his peace into your life, he calls you by name. And if there's an adjective that you're going to attach to the front of your name, let it be this one. Beloved. Because that is who you are in Jesus. You are his beloved. And that changes everything. It means that even in the midst of your fears and your doubts and your unbelief, you can trust in God. You can trust in the work that the Spirit is doing in you through the gift of faith that continues to work even when you're not feeling it, even when you have those questions, even in the midst of your fears and your doubts. God's promise to you because of Jesus is that the Spirit is at work. And so until the day comes when you come face to face where you can see the pierced side and the nail-scarred hands, know that Jesus is with you, that you are his beloved, that faith lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he has called you by name, that he died and rose from the dead for you. And so we say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.